you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So this is one of those Sundays in which we are confronted by a decidedly tough-edged Jesus. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung round your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand, your foot, your eye causes you to stumble, get rid of it. For it's better to enter the kingdom maimed than to land in Gehenna. That's the word that's there in Greek, Gehenna. Gehenna was actually the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem that smoldered continually. And in some circles of Judaism, that garbage dump had come to represent judgment for the unrighteous. It is a kind of a chilling image when you think about it. But what's happening here? Why does Jesus' tough edge emerge at this point? If we step back a bit in Mark's account, it can help us to get a sense of the, of the narrative flow of things, how, how he arrived at this space. If you look back to last week's gospel reading, you'll recall that the disciples had been arguing among themselves as to which of them was the greatest. And in response, Jesus had sat them all down and said, Whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all. Then he took a child and he put it among them and taking the child into his arms, he said to the disciples, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. That's a pretty clear object lesson, right? Look at this child I'm holding. Welcome this child, vulnerable, small, dependent, and take your cues from that as to what the kingdom actually is going to look like. Right. Check. Lesson learned, teacher. Next question. This is where today's reading began. This is from John, the disciple. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not following us. Note what John says. Not because he's not following you, Lord, but because he's not following us. That's the problem. Suggests to me that John isn't quite getting it. He hasn't actually learned anything yet from that object lesson with the little child. As the musician and writer Nick Cave observes in his essay on the gospel according to Mark, Jesus' disciples, who we would hope would absorb some of Christ's brilliance, seem to be in a perpetual fog of misunderstanding, following Christ from scene to scene with little or no comprehension of what is going on. Don't stop that one who's casting out evil in my name, Jesus replies. Don't stop him. 
For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. Relax, John. Relax, all of you. There's a good deal more going on here than you understand. So let me call you back to that image of the child, the little one, the vulnerable. And so he continues, If any one of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, better to have a millstone hung around your neck and tossed into the sea than what is coming your way in terms of justice. Oh. Here Amy Oden comments, Jesus immediately turns the tables on his disciples. They've been complaining, remember, John is complaining. Somebody's doing good in your name, not following us. Jesus immediately turns the tables on the disciples, warning them that they are the ones in danger of doing harm, not that other guy. It's as though Jesus says, the problem is not the folks outside of our group. Don't worry about others. They are not the problem. Rather, look at yourselves. How are you, John, you, Peter, you, James, you, Andrew, how are you getting in the way of the gospel? How are you a stumbling block? So do you see the flow? He's challenged them on that matter of who's the greatest. He's talked to them about this child he's holding. John still, but, 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 look at that guy. He's doing stuff in your name and he's not following us. Mm, relax, relax. It's you I'm worried about. How are you at risk of making people stumble? John has got himself so wound up about someone doing things in Jesus' name that he's blind to his own risk. So Jesus has pulled him and the others back to the question of where the vulnerable little ones fit into community. If you want to keep them safe, look first at yourselves Look at how you're conveying the good news, both with your words but more in your attitudes. That attitude about who's great, who should be in control, not interested in it. Is your fixation on that greatness, that pecking order, is that actually misleading people to see the kingdom wrongly? Are you actually making room for people, or are you just allowing them to sit off to the side, watching, while you do what you think is the real deal? If that's the case, you're giving a half-baked gospel at best. That's a problem. That might be a stumbling block. Now, depending on which commentaries you look at on this passage, you'll get different answers as to who Jesus is speaking about when he refers to these little ones. Some would argue that he is speaking very particularly about children and quite possibly is still holding that toddler on his lap who he'd picked up for that object lesson just a few verses earlier. You get that visual picture in your mind, and it couldn't be much more clear, could it? Others, though, suggest that because Jesus says, one of these little ones who believe in me, he's speaking more generally about anyone in the community who is vulnerable, spiritually or otherwise, perhaps including some of the disciples themselves. 
In some ways, it doesn't make all that much difference. As I think Amy Oden is very much right on when she says that the message to those disciples is ultimately carelessness in discipleship can do irreparable damage. Damage to those most vulnerable within the body of Christ. Well, as if the image of having a millstone drag you to the bottom of the sea wasn't quite enough, Jesus continues to press in and press in hard with these words about it being better to lop off your hand or your foot or pluck out your eye if, if those things are getting you into trouble. Graphic enough picture for you, lopped limbs and torn eye, bit jarring perhaps. Imagine then if you were one of those 12. Imagine if you were John, for heaven's sake, whose question had launched this teaching, hearing this firsthand and unfiltered. First time those words have been uttered. Literally? Our hands, our feet, our eyes? Now, in the grand sweep of the gospel, I think it's pretty fair to say that one of the last things that Jesus would want is for his followers to literally begin maiming themselves. In fact, given how good the disciples were at completely missing the point, Jesus might have even suspected that had that been the case, they probably would have been t tempted to start competing over who did the best job of self-mutilation. No, but to press them to stop, to stop worrying about what that guy over there is doing in the name of Jesus and instead turn to themselves and do some honest soul-searching about their foibles and failings and blind spots? Symbolically, he's saying, what do your hands keep grasping for? In their case, it was the seats of authority, right? High place in the pecking order. What do your hands keep grasping for? Where do your feet take you where you ought not to go? What do your eyes fixate on in terms of false or destructive desires? Stop worrying about that guy and start looking at yourselves. The hand, foot, and eye, says N.T. Wright, they refer to precious parts of one's personality, to aspects of one's full humanness, which may from time to time cause one to stumble which may, that is, bring about one's ruin as a follower of Jesus. The immediate meaning seems to be that John and the others had better watch out in case their desire for honor when Jesus becomes king prevents them, in fact, from being his disciples at all. Anything that gets in the way must go. Now, I believe Bishop Wright is fundamentally correct in tying the teaching back to the question of the disciples vying for places of honor, for prestige and positions of power. These tough-edged and jarring words from Jesus are ultimately about the shape of a new kingdom and of a people meant to be together in one body, not ranked by privilege and power with vulnerable little ones at risk on the sides, no which is the point at which this gospel reading actually connects with tonight's reading from the epistle of James, which is all about what life can look like 
in the body of Christ when it's actually living like the body of Christ. So James writes to his community, Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? Call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. For the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sin will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray one for another so that you may be healed or restored, not only as individuals, but as a people together. Like Jesus, James is seeking to form a gospel community in which the vulnerable are held closely, with love and with compassion, a space made, and in which the path to wholeness comes through a searching honesty, and a preparedness to bear one another's burdens, not through privilege and pecking orders, and certainly not through holding things too tightly in our own grip and then worry about what that guy over there is doing in the name of Jesus. No, no, no. Maybe, in fact, it's only in dropping all pretense to those kinds of things, that kind of control, those understandings of authority and prestige, only in dropping those things that the disciples will begin to learn that they too are counted among the little ones, vulnerable and in need of the grace of God and of the little graces that come with life in community. Maybe they're learning as they walk that road Maybe we're learning that too. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.